It's Sunday morning and we are in the same study we've always been in. We're in a study of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. The Bible is one story. Just one story. It's about God's elect family. It's just about God's family. And it starts with Adam. And Adam has a son. His name is Seth. What happened to Cain? What happened to Abel? Well, Cain kills Abel. He's out of jealousy. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived another in the place of Abel, whom Cain slew. And that was Seth. Seth means substitute. Seth. And then Seth has a son. This is all in Genesis, the fifth chapter. This is what we're teaching about. Everything that we're is happening in the New Testament goes back to this family bloodline right here. Seth has a son named Enosh. And Enosh has a son named Canaan. Canaan. And Canaan has a son named Mahalaleel. And Mahalaleel has a son named Jared. And Jared has a son, and his name is Enoch. This is the good Enoch that, because you've got an Enoch in Cain's bloodline, but those are common names. Enoch comes from the word Nuach. which means rest, which means rest. And Enoch has a son named Methuselah. And Methuselah is recorded to be the oldest man in the Bible. He lives 969 years, not that much longer than Adam because Adam lives 930 and and Jared lives 960, so Methuselah is barely older than the guys younger than him. And Methuselah has a son named Lamech. And Lamech has a son, his name is Noah. These are all sons and grandsons, all the way down through this. And Noah has three sons. Shem, well, let me put it this way. Since Shem has got the blessing, Shem is the second born, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then you get on down to Shem's son, and this is where this lineage is continued, or faxed. And then our facts, it has a son. His name is Salah. 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 
And then he has a son named Eber, or Eber, however you want to pronounce it. And then Eber has a son named Peleg. And then Peleg has a son named Reu. And Reu has a son named Sarug. And then Sarug has a son named Nahor. It might do you so good to memorize these so you know who they are. Nahor means to snore, I guess. Maybe he snored loud or something. Snore. Yeah. And then Nahor had a son named Terah. And Terah has a son named Abraham. And Abraham has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And you'll find this lineage in Genesis 5. And after the flood, it starts up after the flood with our facts it. I didn't put our facts in there, there did I? No. A R P. Huh? Yeah, he's up there. Oh, I put him up here. Okay. And this is actually, we get the word Semitic or Shemitic from Shem. So this promise of God continues with second born Shem. And this is Shem's lineage here and takes you all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob's name is changed to Israel in Genesis, the 32nd chapter, when he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And he said, what is your name? He said, Yaakov. He'll catch you. I'm one who trips people up. And the Lord's angel said, from now on, you'll no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, meaning to prevail with God. Israel and Jacob or Israel has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Has twelve sons, starts with Reuben and second born Simeon. And Simeon has a brother, third born Levi. Levi. Fourth born Judah. Out of Judah would come the king of Israel, and Jesus was the line of Judah, and out of Levi, the third born, would come the priesthood. A priesthood, king would come out of here. And he had a he had a eleventh born son. His name was Joseph. Joseph. And Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh was second born, was firstborn, but God gave the blessing to Joseph through his secondborn son Ephraim. Good name. So anytime you see Ephraim referred to after the death of Ephraim or Joseph, it's talking about the ten northern tribes. Ten northern tribes. And the two southern tribes were composed of Judah and Benjamin. And the reason 
God split Israel into two nations was because David, excuse me, Solomon allowed his wives to keep their grove goddesses grow. And Solomon was the son of David and Solomon was fooled by his wives by allowing 700 of his wives to keep their Shemash. That is the sun god. Sun god in the ancient world. And their grove goddesses. And whenever you see grove, it will be Asherah. Or the word Asherah is the word grove. It means upright goddess. It was a tree goddess. You got two you got two things that Israel kept going after in the Old Testament. Everything that the Bible is about is about Israel when they they're carried into they go into not bondage. Joseph is sold into Egypt. And you'll find that in Genesis, the 37th chapter. Because of the jealousy of his brothers, he was only 17 years old, and his father had made him the leader of all Israel. When they saw him coming, they were... And they saw he had on the... Not coat of many colors. That's not it. That's a bad translation. They saw him wearing the coat of authority. The reason they called it many colors because it was made of many different articles of clothing. And it was a coat of authority. His brother saw him coming with it. They were angry at him because he was only 17 years old. And their father Jacob, or Israel, had made him their leader. And they sold him into bondage He wasn't in bondage yet. Let me clarify this. They sold him to an Egyptian caravan in the 37th chapter of Genesis. And he ends up in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was captain of the guard for the Pharaoh. Well, when he gets into Potiphar's house, Joseph was very handsome. The Bible says he was a very comely man, very good looking. And Pharaoh and Potiphar was he was the head of Pharaoh's guard. And when he was gone to work one day, uh, Potiphar's wife made a play for Joseph. She wanted him. And he turned her down and pulled away from her and left his coat with her and she began to scream, Rape, rape. He's trying to get me. This is a, you got to understand something about Potiphar. He was one of the most powerful men in Egypt, and he got to have any woman he wanted. So he evidently picked out a real good-looking woman with no sense. <laughs> and she didn't realize. Now, in oil, when a foreigner would rape a woman or, or molest her, the penalty for that was death. But Potiphar knew his wife. 
And so he just had Joseph put in prison. Instead, and everywhere he went, Joseph applied himself, and he ended up being the keeper of the prison. Then he had these two men come in that the Pharaoh had put in there. The Pharaoh was baker and the Pharaoh was butler. Butler didn't mean he answered the door. It was a wine taster. If anybody was to be trusted that was close to the king, it would be that man. Because he would bring his wine to him and the Pharaoh would say, well, you taste it first. If you die, then I'll know not to drink it. And so he would taste it and everything would be okay. That's that's what Nehemiah was. He was a butler also. So he ends up interpreting the dream of this baker, this butler, and they hang the baker and they release the butler and he goes on and Pharaoh has these dreams and then then the butler says, oh, I forgot, there's a man that can interpret dreams. He's in the prison. So they went and get him. Joseph interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and tells him all about the, the good cattle and the bad cattle and the good corn and the bad corn. And he says the seven years of good corn and the seven years and the seven good cattle are going to be seven good years. But then the seven bad cattle and the seven bad corn is going to be years of famine. So Joseph said, put somebody in charge and someone that is smart enough to set aside some of the grain for the bad years. And they said, who but you? You'll stand here and tell me these things. So Joseph becomes second in command in Egypt. So he wasn't, the reason I'm telling you that, they weren't in bondage yet. That's in the 40, well, 42nd through the 46th chapter. They weren't in bondage yet. They go into bondage. Most people don't know this. They go into bondage in Exodus, the Exodus, the first chapter. Genesis, the 50th chapter, which is the chapter before that, Joseph dies in Egypt. In Egypt. In Exodus, the first chapter, this is where the bondage is. A new Pharaoh rises up that doesn't know the miracles that Joseph, he'd heard about them, everybody heard about them, because Joseph saved Egypt. But he wasn't personally acquainted with him. And the Jews began to multiply at breakneck speed. And the Pharaoh said, kill all the firstborn males as soon as they're born. Of course, the midwife said, we can't do that. Let's just tell the Pharaoh, these are quick women, they deliver fast. And these babies are being born. And the word was out, kill all the male children. Because there's going to be a deliverer comes out of them. And Moses is born in Exodus, the second chapter. Exodus, the second chapter. And they are in the captivity in the first chapter through the twelfth chapter. The twelfth chapter is the last of ten plagues. And what was that last of ten plagues? Huh? It was a Passover. The Lord said, 
put this blood of the lamb upon your doorpost and whoever doesn't have it the firstborn in that house will die and that was the end from the first chapter of Exodus to the 12th chapter of Exodus you got 10 plagues we're not going to go into them right now and from the the first chapter of Exodus is the beginning of the bondage and trying to figure out when the bondage starts you're not going to be able to do that other than that new Pharaoh we don't know how much time passed from the death of Joseph to that beginning of the bondage we don't know what's amazing to me they make movies about it everybody knows about the bondage don't they Israel was in bondage for how long 400 years but most people don't know that when Israel goes into the land and they're under judges close to 400 years maybe 390 or something like that and then they're under kings for 500 years and then they're carried away because they went after Baal Grove and every other god that was similar to these gods I keep saying this Israel went after every god you can think of they went after hundreds of god I always say Bell in the Grove because every male deity was a sun deity sun every female deity was a grove or an Asherah or an Ashtaroth A-S-H T-O-R-O-T-H these are generic names for tree deities and whether people like it or not this goes back to the Christmas tree the Bible tells us in Revelation 17 and 5 Revelation 17 that Babylon Babylon mothered all idolatry since she was a mother that meant she gave birth to nurtured and all idolatry is kin to each other all idolatry upon the earth is kin to one another it was all begun when Babylon mothered idolatry Genesis 11 Genesis 11 is where Babylon began after the flood the flood ends in Genesis 9 they land on the mountain of Ararat Genesis 10 is the table of nations table of nations are the sons of Shem, Ham and Japheth and where they migrated to from the mountains of Ararat Ararat was a chain of mountains 
when Israel Ararat uh, you have the table of nations on there. The map that the table I'll of nations. Yeah. Okay. There it is. There it is, yeah. Well, the mountains of Rarat are on the eastern part of Turkey. It's a chain of mountains. That's where they landed. We don't know which one they landed on. But that is the mountains where they landed. That's in Genesis 10. It'll tell you that Shem was, went down here on the Euphrates River. Shem was the father of the Jews. He was the ancestor of Abraham. And then Ham came down to Put or to all these Egyptian people down here, Ethiopia, he came to this area, and then Japheth was the head of the Syrians, and they migrated up here between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. Caucasus Mountains, that was a bunch of Caucasians, the most barbaric people who ever lived. So, when Abraham had to go down here and settle on the Euphrates, when God came to Abraham, in the 11th chapter of Genesis, at the end of the 11th chapter, he tells him, Get thee up out of thy country and from thy kindred to a land that I will show you. So he gets up and follows God's instruction. He takes him over here to Israel. Actually, down to Beersheba, the southernmost city in Israel at that time. So he takes him all the way over here. And that's why Abraham had to come out of Ur of the Chaldees, because that's where he went and settled. Now, God kept telling Israel, if you go after any other gods, I've got a paper here, and you need just, everybody needs to get a copy of it. It's just the word scatter out of out of uh, your strong concordance. Scatter. This is all scattered. Scattereth. It'll tell you all the times that God says, I'm going to scatter you all, all over the earth if you keep going after these other gods. He told them when he, when he gives Jacob, which is Israel, and after 400 years in bondage, and Jacob's long dead, and Isaac's long dead, and Abraham's long dead, he gives them he gives them laws and tells them if you go after any one any other god I'm going to scatter you all over the earth. This is what the Bible is about. And people I'm not preaching something that's hard. Let me erase this. I'm preaching something that's fairly easy. When Israel comes out of bondage after being there 400 years, they head off into the wilderness. There's about 2 million people estimated that followed Moses into a desert where there was no food, no water, and they went into this desert of the Sinai Peninsula. That will be, they leave Egypt, they come over here, and this little V-shaped 
nation. That's the Sinai Peninsula. And they cross the Red Sea, come down to the South Sinai Peninsula, and they go to the mountain. And in the mountain, God gives their leader at that time, Moses, the law. And what they're doing, they're heading back. They've been out of contact with the promised land for 400 years. They're heading back to the promised land. And they're 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. And at the beginning of that, Moses goes up on the mountain. You can read about this starting in the 18th chapter of Exodus. Read through the 20th chapter. That's where Moses goes up on the mountain. Gets the law of God. And when he gets God's law, he comes down from the mountain. That's the first place we have in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are mentioned several times through the law. But the first time is Exodus, the 20th chapter. That's it. Now, but they're in the mountain and they got 40 years to go in the wilderness. The first place they go, they go north. God leads them to head towards the north. Let me see if I can find something better than that. Here's the Sinai Peninsula right here. They leave Egypt. They come down here, past the wilderness of sin, come down to Sinai, they get the law of God, and then then they head out, and the first place they go is up to, you've heard me say it, Kadesh Barnea. That's their first stop. And God tells them, I want you to go into the land. You see Ashkelon and Gaza? These are cities of the Philistines. But before it was called the land of the Philistines, it was called the land of Anak. And then later on, the land of the Philistines. And during our day and time, it's called the Gaza Strip. Oh boy, that seems to have some ominous message to it. Well, it is. The Gaza Strip is where after from 1517 to 1917, that Gaza Strip and all of what we call Israel was being ruled by Arab people. Arab people, Arabs. An Arab is a Hebrew word that means mixed. So these were mixed people from various backgrounds. And they controlled all that land from 1517 under the Turks until 1917. And that was the end of what we call World War I. They called it the Great War. They didn't know there's going to be a World War II, the Great War, and they issued a, issued a, a a the doctrine of the Balfour Declaration in 19 
1920. This is what's going on. 1920, the Balfour Declaration. Mr. Balfour was the ambassador at the end of World War I. World War I lasted from 1914 to 1917. That was war where more people had died than ever before, but it was a paltry amount compared to World War II. There were 60 million people died as a matter of World War II. 60 million. That's a lot of people. Well, this Balfour Declaration was issued a very puzzling declaration. It sounded like that the United Nations, since United Nations, it sounded like they were for Israel, but some of the Arabs thought, well, I think they're, I think they're leaning it toward us. So in 1948, when that Balfour Declaration expired, our President Truman being a Baptist from Independence, Missouri, I guess that's why he did it. He put the pressure on the world to declare Israel a nation for the first time in 2,600 years. From the time that Nebuchadnezzar carried them away, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar carried them off into captivity in 586 B.C., Jerusalem has not been head of that nation until 1948. May 14th to be exact. That's when Israel, due to President Truman, Harry Truman is considered a hero in Israel because he told the world, I will sanction every port that comes into you. Sanction is where they put a blockade and they say you can't ship anything in to... And Qaddafi, when they were over here saying that to Libya, they... Qaddafi wasn't ruling back then, but his ancestors were ruling back in the 40s. And when when they said... We'll stop any... The point is, the world had to have our shipment coming in to survive and live. So when you start sanctioning people, you say, that sounds like an awful gentle word. That ain't gentle at all. That means we'll ship you nothing, and you'll starve to death. They had to have goods from the U.S. So Harry Truman told the whole world... You will either make them a nation or many of you will die. And he became the hero of of Israel. They named the kids after him over there. Now, here's the thing. Since the Arabs controlled all all this land for 400 years, 1517, 1917, they believe when Israel was declared a nation in 1948, 
They believe Israel stole their land. They believe the land belonged to them because possession is nine points of the law. You know that, don't you? Well, the way the Arabs looked at it, they did own it. They've been in possession of it. Around 90% of all the people, 90% of all the people in the land were Arab descent from all these years. Israel had a very small percentage of them. So at the end of World War II, when Mr. Truman said, we will have them be a nation, so the next day, May 15th, May 15th, 1948, uh, that I was born May the 16th. So May the 15th, I turned, May the 16th, I turned nine years old when Israel became a nation. They became a nation then. But it wasn't until 1967, during the Six-Day War, from June 5th through June 10th, where Israel, for the first time, the people that was ruling Jerusalem at that time was the Jordanians, was these people over here in Jordan were ruling, were ruling, let me see if I can find a better map than that. These people in Jordan right here, See that strange look? That's Jordan. Northern Jordan, Southern Jordan. They were ruling Jerusalem at that time till in 1967. A specific verse that goes with this is Luke 21, 24. Speaking of the, the Gentiles, they shall fall, speaking of the Jews, Luke 21, 24. They, and it's talking about the Jews, they shall fall by the edge of the sword. And Jerusalem, this is very significant, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, trodden by the, uh, the Gentiles. And that would be everybody that's not a Jew. I've actually got a paper on this that tells you everybody that ruled them. I got it right here, I think. Tells you everybody that ruled them for 2,600 years and they were ruled by the entire Gentile world until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled over the Jews. And that until Jerusalem will fall by the edge of the sword and be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentile rule over the Jews, Gentile rule, is fulfilled. And that happened, Gentile rule over the Jerusalem, happened in the Six-Day War, June 5th through June 10th. This is the generation 
that the Bible says later in that chapter, this is the generation that will not pass away until all is fulfilled. The fact that Israel became a nation during my lifetime is prophecy of the end of time. I've been going to a been going to uh, over here to have a therapy for my back uh, over here at Radiology Center and the fellow that's been training me is a Jew and I've tried to talk to him and he just kind of it made him nervous when I talked to him about the Bible I wanted to tell him did you know that the whole reason they're having this war in Israel it's because Israel's been in captivity 2,600 years and they were made independent as a nation in May of 1948 and then in the Six-Day War of 67, Jerusalem became, came back and became an independent city for the first time in 2,600 years and this has to do with the prophecy of the end of time. It has to be in our generation. These things will not pass away till all is fulfilled. Now, what was this all about? It was all about why was Israel scattered? They were scattered because of Easter. Easter is another term. Easter is another term for the tree worship. Easter was the goddess of the spring. Goddess of spring. Easter was another name that was a name that was used in in Europe or in England for the tree goddess. It was the same thing as Ashtaroth It was the same thing as Asherah, the same thing as the grove. And the grove was Asherah, A-S-H-E-R-E-H. It was the same thing. I, I taught on Easter here a couple of weeks ago, and that's why God scattered them, because they worshipped the tree. He told them when they left, He told Moses, you tell them if they go after any other gods, I'm going to scatter them all over the world. And that's exactly what he did. And they came back after the Balfour Declaration stopped. And when they were declared a nation, that was the first time they'd been a nation in 2,600 years. This has to do with the end of time. That's the reason I emphasize it so much. Did you know that? Did anybody ever get a hold of this? This may very well be in your lifetime, especially if you're a young person. I believe we're going to see the end of all things. I just, I'm trying to emphasize Easter and Christmas. You can't separate that from the Old Testament and you cannot separate that from us because that's why they became a nation again. And God says, when I bring them back and make them one nation, they'll no longer be Judah, southern Israel, and they'll no longer be 
Ephraim or Joseph, northern Israel. They'll come back. There'll be one in my hand, he says in Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. At the end of time, they'll have one king. It will be Christ. I don't know if it scares you. It ought to make you kind of nervous. I believe it will happen in these little girls' lifetime. I just don't see how we can keep going. The world is utterly insane. What do you mean insane, Jim? Well, if you look up insane in a Webster Dictionary, it will tell you to be be deranged. To be deranged. When you look up deranged, this is what insane will tell you. When you look up deranged and all associated words, it will tell you the inability to think rational. It is very rational when you tell somebody well, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. They'll say, Well, that's your opinion. No, you're crazy. I just gave you a Bible verse, verbatim, and you're saying it means something else. It doesn't. It's because you're insane. You can go around telling people that if you want to. Do you realize how insane America is? You can tell people, <clears throat> we got a 20 trillion dollar national debt. We couldn't pay for that in a hundred thousand years. Well, you're crazy. That's just your opinion. I'll tell you what you can do. You can go online look up some of these economics experts like Professor Kotlikoff at Boston University. He'll tell you we are gone as far as we can go. We're past the point of no return. Mr. Let me give you, show you something here. I think I've got it right here. I think. I've got one right here. Here's a man that everybody respected. Well, I thought I had it. Maybe I have it in here. Yeah, I do. Here it is. Here's a man that everybody respected before he died. Stephen Hawking, considered one of the most brilliant, if not the most brilliant scientist in the world. Stephen Hawking says we have less than a hundred years to save the human race. Has some interesting things in here. You can go online and look this up. The Bible says there'll be distress of nations with perplexity at the end of time. Perplexity is the word aporia. A-P-O-R-I-A. This is in Luke 21, 25. 21, 25. If I can scare you, I hope I can. You know why I get so depressed every day? I haven't even read anything. I've been up here just telling you what I know about history. 
since I've been standing up here. I wake up with this stuff in my head all the time and a million other things knowing that we're sitting on the verge of eternity and most people just don't care. They're not even interested. They just don't care. Mr. Hawking will tell you he died recently and didn't even believe in God. He's got some... He says we're trapped by our own advances. We're in a trap. The earth's heating up. Not because the Democrats say that. The point is, it's heating up and there is no answer, no way out. We got a debt we can't pay and there's no way out. What do you mean there's no way out? A poor means no answer. There are four things that there's no answer to. No answer. No way out. In a quandary. Just forget getting out of it. If we wake up some morning and the stock market has crashed, you won't even own your property. That's just the way it will be. Somebody said, well, oh, it was Mike said, can it get any worse? I believe that before it's over with, we will have martial law in the streets of America. Anyway, if it starts happening, you can call me a prophet if you want to, but that's not the thing. I've been studying the prophets out of this book, and they say this is going to happen. What are the four things? What are the four things no answer to? Well, you go back over here, and the Lord tells Moses, You tell these people, here it is at the 40 years in the wilderness. He gets this law at the beginning of the 40 years after the 400 years in bondage. He said, You tell Israel that if they are not obedient to me, I will send these four judgments and there will be no way out. There will be no answer. There's a couple of things that come to my mind when I say no answer. Over here in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, this is where southern Judah is being carried away into captivity. This is at the end of the 500 years under kings. This is their end of it. This is what the Bible says in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. This is where this is the end of Israel's history. First of all, northern Israel was carried away into captivity in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And then it only leaves, it only leaves southern Judah. But that's the king will come out of Judah. So in 586 B.C., this is the end of Israel as a nation until May 14, 1948. 
until the Six-Day War of 1967. Most of you are familiar with the Six-Day War, aren't you? That was some kind of war. The, the original war between Israel and the Arabs broke out on May the 15th after they were declared a nation on the 14th. I've got all kinds of information on this. There were 250,000 Israelis went to war with 45 million Arabs. They were not supposed to survive, but they did through the miracles of God. <laughs> That's not going to get them to heaven because they're in literal Israel. They have to come through Jesus Christ. Do I believe there's a remnant there? Yeah, look over here. So when I think of no answer, no out, this is what I think of. This is the Israel's end as a nation in the Old Testament. What are all that, what's all the rest of those books for? Well, these are all prophets prophesying against Israel for their idolatry going after all these other gods every one of the prophets when you're talking about Isaiah Daniel Ezekiel Hosea Joel you go to all the minor prophets you go to the major prophets they're all prophesying against Israel for having gone after these idol gods which were the same thing as the Christ mass Tree goddesses. It was a Christmas tree. Look here. Now this is the Israel's end. And when you get into the next book, Ezra, Ezra's over in the captivity. You get to Ezekiel, he's in the captivity. You get to Daniel, he's in the captivity. They're all been carried away. The end of Israel's history comes here in Second Chronicles. 36th chapter, look here in verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers. Who is God's messengers? The prophets. They would go cry in the streets of Jerusalem. Jeremiah would walk to the streets of Jerusalem say, Judgment's coming. You're going after these other gods. Rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people. God had compassion on Israel and he kept warning them by sending prophets to them. And his dwelling place. But they mocked the prophets of God. And despised God's words. And misused his prophets. Killed them. They took Isaiah, put him in a log, and sawed him in two. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people Israel, until there was no remedy. Same thing as Aporia, Marpe remedy. No way out. We are at the end of all things. If you think this world's going to get better, it is a poria. No way out. I don't care how smart you are. If you can prove there's a way out, then what you're going to do, throw your Bible away and you're going to prove your Bible is wrong. There ain't any way out. Do you think we're going to get over all of this? All of these people over here, ICs and 
Al-Qaeda and all of those terrorist organizations, Hezbollah, which is the terrorist organization there among the Palestinians. It's not going to happen. The Bible says so. You can get, you can get two quorums going on in, in, uh, in Washington, D.C. between the Democrats and Republicans, and they each one of them will argue about why they're right, neither one of them's right. It's not going to happen. If the Bible's true, it's not. There's no way out. Now, let's finish reading this. Therefore, he brought upon the Jews the king of the Chaldees. That's the Chaldees is another term for Babylon. He brings in Nebuchadnezzar who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon a young man, he slaughtered them. God called Nebuchadnezzar in to slaughter Israel. And maiden and old man and him that stooped for age, he gave them all into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And all the vessels of the house of God and great and small and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his princes and all these he brought to Babylon. This is where he carries them away from Jerusalem and they had to go up here to take them over here to Babylon. About 650 miles away and they stripped man down to nakedness and carried him away with their hands tied behind their back. And carried him from Jerusalem where the temple is and carried him all the way over here on the Euphrates River to Babylon. A long way. And when they got there, they had no house, no place to live, no temple to worship in. It had been stripped and cut to the ground by God's will by Nebuchadnezzar the king coming over and leveling it. There was no more Israel. Until May 14, 1948, when I was nine years old. Two days later I was. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, and all these he brought to Babylon... And the king of Babylon burnt the house of God. The house of God is the temple. He burnt it to the ground. He pulled the stones that they were built out of, pulled them down. When they would raise, R-A-Z-E, when they would raise a city, that is exact opposite of R-A-I-S-E. When they raise a city, they would level it to the ground, plow it up with plows, sow salt all through it so nothing would grow there. And Israel in just a few years looked like a wasteland. They, then the Jews were over here in Babylon. They had no temple. They had no way to worship God. They said, what are we going to do? And that's when they organized the synagogue in Babylon. And that was an evil system. And the rabbis became the Pharisees and they started their own way of worshiping God, which was wrong. Verse 19, And they burnt the house of God, break down the wall of Jerusalem, burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels. And them that had escaped from the sword 
when Nebuchadnezzar came in, they just cut Israel to the ground, slaughtered a million of them, left them dead in the streets. These carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And then Persia comes in in 539. Babylon cuts Israel to the ground in 538, excuse me, 586 B.C. And then Persia rises up in 539 to take over the world. And they cut Babylon to the ground. They cut them down. And then under Persia, and then Greece comes along and takes up where Persia has left off. And then later on, the Roman Empire comes in and cuts all these nations, these empires down to nothing. It's all about the end of time. We're not that far away. We can't be that far away if the Bible is true. Y'all understand that? I hope I'm scaring you. I just don't feel like I've got long to live. And I, I tell people I'll be 80 here in a couple of days. Yeah, Ken. Just look at the news on television every day. You see yeah, yeah it's, it's really bad. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. This is not going to get better. It's going to get so bad. We'll probably see martial law in the streets. That's soldiers walking up down the streets with guns in their hand. We're headed towards the worst times we've ever seen in America. Why? All because Israel went after those four things that doesn't have any any answer, no answer, aporia, marpe, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. God said, I'll send the sword against you. That'll be your armies. War will come against you. I will cut off. You'll have famine. I will cause your enemy to come against you one way and you'll flee seven ways. Do you think America can get out of this situation they're in? I don't believe in America. I don't, I'm not a patriot. Patriot comes from the word pater, which is the word father. In the Greek, our father's God and our mother's Jerusalem, the church. We're supposed to follow the laws of this book. I don't really care what laws they make. I'm going to go by these laws. That's what I'm going by. I hope you understand we're in for the ride of our life. There's going to be great over there to Matthew. In Matthew, the 24th chapter. Here's what's going to happen in America and all the rest of the world. Matthew 24. Sometimes I just don't know what to preach. I preached on nearly every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible I can think of. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Esther, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, all through the Old Testament. We've taught through nearly every book there. Took us two and a half to three years just to get through the book of Genesis. Remember that? 
We went through every character, things in Genesis that you've never heard of before. Showed how Simeon, the second born of Joseph, of Jacob, was a scoundrel. He was a murderer. Showed how Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, was unstable as water, just had no principle at all. You have to have been there and heard it. How that, how could, when the Bible says, before either one were born, before either one had done any good or evil, talking about Jacob and Esau, God said he loved Jacob and hated Esau. For Jacob had ever become a nation, they were killing each other and murdering and slaughtering and butchering. Doesn't sound like God would love Jacob at all, does it? People say, oh, it was before, it was nations. Let me tell you, before Israel, while Israel's becoming a nation, they're doing everything against God's law. Look here. Here's what's going to happen in verse 21 of chapter 24. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. We're headed to that. Great tribulations which has never been before. If you think because we're America and this is going to go away. I hope you can realize the seriousness of this. Look over here in Second Timothy. Second Timothy. The third chapter. I don't know if we'll have time to build a building. But we're going to try if the money comes in. I'd like to have something stand here as a memorial to God's Word. Look here. Paul's talking about when he was traveling over in in Galatia. The towns in Galatia where he traveled were Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. He was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. And he said in verse 10, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, at what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're supposed to suffer persecution. The word persecution, dioko, means to run for your life. It means to flee from your enemy. Why was all this going on? Easter. Sun worship. Because all the time they were a nation, they were going after everything that wasn't God. Is America going after everything that's not God? Uh, if, if they believe, what does believe in Jesus mean? Believe that he existed? Is that what it means? Well, he lived on earth and, and, and he he was a man that walked around. Does that mean that? No. 
If you believe in Jesus, you believe the words that he said. And you believe you have to do them. When he would say, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. There is a straight and narrow way. We've heard that since we were children, haven't we? The straight and narrow. But you don't really want to know what it is. Because when you find out what it is, you're going, oh my goodness. That don't just mean mind your mama when you're five years old. Straight. Stenos. In the Greek, you've got a noun. And you have a verb form of the noun. The verb form is stenazo. That is the word groan. It means when you're going through this narrow opening of this straight gate, the straight, it means to be pressured on all sides by people who don't like the words you're saying. You've got to be pressured. Groan. Narrow is the way. The word narrow is one of the best words in the Bible. People don't have the slightest idea what it's talking about. They don't even know. Narrow is the word talibo. It is a verb form of thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Jim, isn't that a certain group of people that are more dedicated than others? No, that's everybody that's going in. If you're not willing, if you're not willing, you're totally unwilling to go through the tribulation way, you're not going. You say, but I'm just young. Well, in time, God's going to take you to a place where he convicts your heart, where you say, I have to go into the gate through tribulation. Paul said so. You can't get by with not going in the narrow way. There is no other way in. He said, I am the way. I am the hodos. And he said, narrow is the hodos. And if you come in by Jesus, you've got to go in the tribulation way. Somewhere in your life, you've got to be persecuted. But telling people the truth and taking a stand in it. Well, Jim, that's somewhere back in the old ancient world. No, that's wherever where God is in this book. I never did read to you why Israel went through all this. Let's go back to to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. Israel was just arrogant. What amazes me, the Jews don't have any idea. I was under training with this guy. He didn't have any idea who the Jews were and why they did what they did, and he was a Jew. I tried to get him to talking about something. I told him one day, I said, I really like you, Ben. I hope God deals with your heart. hope he deals with your heart to, to seek the truth. That's all I know to tell somebody that's not interested. Hope God deals with your heart. Look here in Look here in the eighth chapter of Ezekiel. 
this is why God scattered them. Yeah, and he said no something about Ezekiel. Ezekiel, when he wrote this book, he was in the captivity. Israel was carried away. Southern Judah was carried away into captivity in 586 B.C. This is somewhere in the neighborhood of 597, about 11 years before Israel was slaughtered and carried away into captivity. This is Ezekiel's living somewhere. We're not real sure, but we know he was carried away. There were three deportations by Nebuchadnezzar. Three deportations. To deport means to carry away and carry out to Babylon. This The time of this is just after the 36th chapter of 2 Chronicles. 36th chapter of 2 Chronicles was in 586 B.C. 2 Chronicles 36. That's when this was all happening. Before it happened, there were. this was the final destruction of Israel. They had two deportations. This was a military... This was exactly a military operation. It was the destruction of Israel there in 586. You'll also find this in 2 Kings, the 25th chapter. Kings gives their account of what Chronicles gives as their account. These are both the same activities. Two chapters on it. Northern Israel had been carried away in First Kings. First Kings, seventeen. Excuse me, Second Kings, the seventeenth chapter. Second Kings, the seventeenth chapter. That was Northern Israel carried away by the Assyrians. By the Assyrians in in. 722 B.C. But here's the destruction, the final destruction of Israel right there. And if you want to read Jeremiah's account of it, read Jeremiah 40, say 39 through 42. 39 through 42. Read in there, and Jeremiah gives you a personal account of these two chapters. He'll tell you how Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian commander, came in and said, Jeremiah, we heard you were really a good man. We heard that you tried to warn these people and they ignored you. You can come to Babylon. We'll give you land. We'll honor you for being honest with these people. Did, did Nebuchadnezzar have a right to do what he did? Oh, yeah, but an absolute right. Because Israel was trying to go over here and get Pharaoh Necho in Egypt 
He's trying to get them to take care of them. And the most powerful man in the world was Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, don't you go over to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, Jeremiah said, one of these soldiers will chase you down and kill you. You go over here to Babylon. Why did God take them to Babylon? Because they hadn't kept their sabbatical years for 490 years. They had not. They had a sabbatical year every one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They didn't do anything that God said. You can read about those sabbatical years in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. I want you to leave the land alone every seven years. Why? Well, because they didn't have crop rotation, which you have to have out in the Midwest in Kansas. And if you don't have crop rotation, you'll drain all the the nutrients out of the ground. If you've got a thousand acres and you're a farmer out there in Kansas and you don't practice some form of crop rotation, you burn the ground up, suck all the nutrients out, and the ground won't burn anything. You have to call an agent out, a farm agent, and he'll tell you what kind of what kind of manure you need to put in the ground, what kind of fertilizer in order to cause it to grow. They have to do that all the time out there. If they didn't I had a guy come in here years ago and he had a biology degree. He said, you got to have so much snow to have enough nitrogen to cause crops to grow. And when the snow quit, when it quit snowing out in the Midwest, that was as disastrous as no rain. He said, you got to have it. Who do you think's doing that, huh? You think God has anything to do with that? I think so. Instead of crop rotation, you've all heard of crop rotation, haven't you? Huh? Haven't we all heard of crop rotation? You can't just burn the ground up. Mary and I had a garden over there on Irvin, and we planted it for 10 years. We'd go out at the end of those 10 years and we'd buy... These tomatoes are supposed to be real big and they turn out to be like that. You can't do that. You do that. And I got one word to say to you. Don't do that. And they said, if you think that we're going to go every seven years without planting and without reaping, God says, I will fill up your storehouse, your basket, and your store. I'll fill up you you can't lose if you're obedient to me and my word. You know, I believe that's true today. You may not get rich, but you'll have plenty. Look over in Ezekiel. Here's why. This is the Easter message, and it goes all year long because Easter was just the tree goddess. It was the grove. Look here. How much time now, Mike? Let's read this. Chapter 8, verse 7. He brought me into the door of the court. This is Ezekiel, has visions. He's in Babylon. 
and he's having visions of what God's going to do. And this is around 597, 96 B.C. And he is showing Ezekiel what he's going to do to Jerusalem about 650 miles away. And he's showing Ezekiel what he's going to do at around 586 B.C., which is just about 11 years later. Ezekiel is having visions that God is showing how he's going to destroy Jerusalem. Now let's read it. So I went and saw and behold every form of creeping things, abominable beast of all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed upon the wall round about. Israel had made drawings of all these wicked creatures which had nothing to do with worshiping Jehovah God on the walls of Jerusalem. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. In the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And he said unto me, Son of man, Hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery? For they say, The Lord seeth us not, and the Lord hath forsaken the earth. God don't know what we're doing, and they're going to worship Tammuz. And he said unto me, Turn thee again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than they do. Then I brought then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was beyond, which was toward the north, and behold, there were women weeping for Tammuz, one of the sea gods and the sun gods of the ancient world. It was the sun god. Or they could call him Baal or whatever they wanted to call him. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? He's talking about Ezekiel in Israel. Excuse me. Ezekiel in Babylon seeing what's going on in Jerusalem. And here's what Ezekiel sees. Said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. Inner court of the Lord's house. The Lord's house was the temple. Here's the house of the Lord. And the inner court would be this around here. Because they had a wall around that. Around that. And the inner court would be in here. And you had... You had the brazen sea here, the altar here. You had the veil of the temple where the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. You had the candlesticks here. You had the table of showbread. And you had the altar of incense. These were, these were made of brass. These were made of beaten gold along with the Ark of the Covenant. And listen to what he says. He brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple, of Solomon's temple, 
of the Lord between the porch and the altar was about 25 men. Between the porch, Solomon's porch, and this altar, there's 25 men standing right around here. Right here. 25 men standing in this area right here. Between the porch and the altar. <coughs> we're not talking about pagans. We're not talking about pagans. We're talking about Israel. Priest. Who was in who was allowed to come in here? Levites, that's all. So you can put it this way. Five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple. The temple faced east. Faced east. Backs toward the temple and their faces toward the east. And they worshipped the sun towards the east in Israel. It was the first sunrise service appointed by the priest of God in Israel. Why do you think God's getting upset at him? This is a point where he says, I'm going to bring Nebuchadnezzar in and destroy you. I told you that. When their faces towards the east as they worship the sun... Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing in the house of Judah? Southern, northern Israel had been carried away captive by this time. Only southern Judah was left, and Jerusalem, that they commit the abominations with the commit here, for they have filled the land of Israel with violence, and have returned to provoke me to anger, and lo, they put the branch to their nose. They would go out in the woods defecate do their duty out there and get a branch and wipe their bottom with it God says you're sticking the branch to your nose when you do this to me I don't know how Israel could do what they did how could America do what she does I just look forward to Christ coming back and getting me out of here. I've never been so tired of something in my life as I'm tired of America. Paul said, what have I to do to judge those who are outside the church? I just, I look out my window every day. All these things go through my mind constantly. Don't learn the Bible don't learn a lot about it if you don't want to be bothered by it. Look at Ecclesiastes, the first chapter. Ecclesiastes. This is what will happen to you if you learn. I love the last verse of this Of this chapter, first chapter of Ecclesiastes, you ought to write this down and look at it every once in a while. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The smarter you get about the Word of God, the more grieved you become, the more sorrowful you become. I can't get over it. 
all this goes through my head constantly. And I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of this life. All I can see is destruction coming upon America. And we're not there yet. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. We don't have good things to look forward to. You may think you do, but you don't. Well, but I'm young and healthy and I got my kids and I got this and that. Well, my son is back there on the back row, Eric, and has got two boys and one's 11, the other's 13 or going on 13. He don't have a lot to look forward to. Maybe you don't either. You get grieved over this. And Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was a man who knew everything and he couldn't keep from being sad every day of his life. I've I've learned a lot about this book. I've been studying it for 63 years. And the more I study, the more I learn, the more grieved I get, the sadder I become. You can say, well, I'll turn away from that. That's not going to help you. You're going to... Let me give you a couple more verses about this tree goddess. Just let me say this. Easter is the... Actually, the end of Mardi Gras. People don't know that, but all those people serve their sun gods in a different way. As the sun would be winding down to the winter solstice, winter solstice is the longest nights of the year, longest nights, or the longest night of the year. That would be December the 21st. Well, they said, well, we got to start celebrating the sun is going to get brighter and the next day it began to it was the earth on its axis the earth on its axis going around the sun and as it went into the winter it as it starts coming out of the winter it gets brighter here and they would get and everybody had their own worship of the sun and the tree the Celts started theirs back here at what we call Halloween. This was the Celts, the Celtic form. That was the people that settled in England, and they were Druid worshippers. Druid. The Druids were, they passed their children through the fire. They didn't burn them, but they ritualistically did the same thing Israel did when they burned their children in the fire to Moloch. Then they... The Old Testament has everything to do with us. And then they would come to... They would come to February the the 7th. They would have a seven-day festival, the Franks would... Everybody had a different way of celebrating their sun and tree goddesses. The Romans had the feast of Saturn or the Saturnalia. Saturn or the Saturnalia. Saturn was the father of the gods in Rome. 
and they brought that in the church and renamed it the Christ Mass. And the Franks would start on February the 7th and go through the 14th. Since they had a 360-day year, it always ended on Tuesday. And they would call that Fat Tuesday. Or Shrove Tuesday. Shrove Tuesday. Or the French word is Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras was simply the French form of the Feast of Saturn, which was the same form as the Celtic Halloween. And they would start worshiping, they would start on the 15th. They would mourn for Tammuz, and this is what Israel was doing. They was mourning for Tammuz, the fish god, the sun god, for 40 days, and the Roman Catholics brought that into their church and called it Lent, and it would end. It would start on the 15th. They'd start mourning. That would always end on a Wednesday. The Roman Catholics brought that and called it Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. And when they started on the 15th, they would put the ashes on their forehead and they would mourn for Tammuz for 40 days. Roman Catholics brought that in the church, into the Roman Catholic Church, and it would end on the 25th, which they called the Day of Annunciation. What do they mean? Well, they were announcing, they were announcing the birth of their sun god exactly nine months later on December the 25th. That is the that is the pregnancy of a woman nine months. So you cannot separate Mardi Gras from the 25th of March, which was nine months before December the 25th, which was the birthday of their sun god in the ancient world. It was all the same. You cannot disconnect Mardi Gras from Easter and at the on this 25th of March, that at one time was the birth of the sun god. And this was nothing less than the sap going down in the, in the fall and the resurrection of the crops in the spring. And it was, well, that's not Easter. Well, they had a, a monk named Dionysius, D-Y-O-N, Dionysius, D-Y-N, or D-I-N-O, D-I-Dionysius. Dionysius was the month that redid the calendars so that the Passover and Easter would coincide the same day. We don't know exactly what month we're living in. So, East, that was called Ishtar, and that was the tree goddess, the same thing that you're going to find the tree in Jeremiah 10. They deck it with silver and gold. They put it on the platform because it doesn't move. You can find it in Isaiah 44. That's the tree goddess right there. 
You make a fire with it. You cook with it. And you make a God out of it, Isaiah said. How can I have this information? And people can't find out about it. Because I read like a freak. I mean, I don't ever quit reading. I've got all kinds of books on everything you can think of. You want to get some books that'll just fry your brain, get you a set of these McClinican strong, and never quit reading them. It'll give you the birthday of Mithra. Was Look up Mithra. It's, it's the most famous day in Rome. Uh, December the 25th was Mithra's birthday. Look up Feast of Saturn. It'll tell you all about it. Do I have any time, Mike? One minute. I can't quit teaching on these sun and tree goddesses all year long because it's everything that the Old Testament's about. It's a God, about God blinding the eyes of the Jews, blind the Jews' eyes, and calling His people by another name, Gentile Church, spiritual Israel, spiritual Jews, and that is you and I. We're spiritual Israel, but he's not going to have this worship of these tree gods anymore in his church. We're living... You know, one reason we know we're living in the end times, America's apathetic. They just don't care. If I can get out of this building and shut Jim's mouth and and just get away from him, I don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about it till it happens. Then you'll have to think about it. I stay sad most of the time. I'm kind of like Jesus. I stay grieved. And I stay sad. I can't help it. All this stuff is in my mind. If you don't want to get grieved and sorrowful, quit studying. Or if you want to know what's going on in the world, don't blind your eyes and be apathetic about it. We're living at, I believe we're living not far from the end of time. I know that Jesus is coming in the next 15 years. You mean he's coming back again? Well, he's coming for me. I know that. I'm not going to live to be 95. And I don't want to live to be 95. So I know he's coming for me. He might be coming for you. Let's pray. Lord, help us fight our battles. I am grieved. I need your help. Help to stand strong. Lord, I pray for the church. You'll help these people to stand strong in your word. I thank you so much for truth. I pray you fight our battles for us because, Lord, we got battles we can't deal with. Thank you for everything you do. We'll give you praise for all things, Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, man.